Mark chapter 6, verses 30 through 44. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. Let's pray together. Jesus, we come to you today Lord, recognizing that there is so much happening in the world that we, some we think we understand, some we, we don't understand. Lord, there's chaos and confusion and God, we need to look to your word. God, not just for individual pieces of truth, God, but we come to your word because we need to be led to you. God, we need to follow you. God, we desire you to make sense of our lives, to make sense of the world around us. God, we come to you, to this place, knowing that in you, we will find compassion. Lord, that in you, we can find truth. To in you, we can find what we need to be satisfied. God, we are longing to be satisfied in you. And so I pray that as you teach your word to us today, as the people ate the bread that came from your hand, Lord, we would feast on the truths that come from your word and that we would leave this place satisfied. God, we long for you to teach us. We long to hear your voice. We pray that you would lead us in this time. We ask it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Well, church, our country is incredibly divided, has been for some time, is continuing to be divided. And what makes matters so complicated in the division that we experience is this passionate disagreement over what leaders can be trusted and what leaders are spinning misinformation. What makes this debate, what makes this division so confusing is we don't even understand what news sources are trustworthy what news sources have a political agenda. And there continues to be anger and confusion because we don't know what to believe and we don't know who we can follow. It can feel at times that leaders in this world treat people like they're in the way instead of like people who need to be led. At best, 
People are a means to an end. Leaders need their votes in order so they can have the power that they crave. And they treat people like they're in the way of their policies and ideas. Some leaders truly do desire to lead well. I'm sure their hearts are in the right place, but either because of lack of, or because of fear or lack of actual leadership ability, they've ended up being pawns in a political game or in the pockets of wealthy special interest groups. And so we need better leaders. The world has a leadership problem. And this is actually what the crowd in our text is longing for. All of these people who came to Jesus, who who came to meet Jesus on the other side of the sea, they weren't clamoring to him to experience another miracle. They weren't longing for another riveting sermon. They were looking for a leader. Someone to take up their cause and and march on Rome and overthrow the tyrant Caesar and restore the kingdom to Israel. In John's gospel, he makes this clear when he says that the people came there to take Jesus by force and make him king. They weren't trying to attend a picnic. They wanted to raise an army. And though Jesus does not meet their expectations in the way that they came to to receive, they will all leave satisfied. See, Jesus gives them what they need most, and it's what we need most. It's not, not food. What we need is a good shepherd. We need a a good shepherd to lead us. We need a good shepherd, someone that we can follow, that we can trust, that we know will communicate truth and compassion and freedom. We need a good shepherd. Now, practically, a shepherd is someone who leads, feeds, and protects sheep. And so in scripture, it was this word shepherd, this idea of of a shepherd was consistently used to describe the leaders of God's people. They were to lead them in righteousness. They were to make sure the people were provided for. They were to protect them from their enemies. They were to be a shepherd to them. And the primary example we have of this in the Old Testament is King David. David was a shepherd by profession before he was anointed as king. But listen to what Psalm 78 says in verses 70 through 72. He chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheepfolds. From following the nursing ewes, he brought him to shepherd Jacob, his people, Israel, his inheritance. With upright heart, he shepherded them and he guided them with his skillful hand. So David may have been a shepherd prior to being king, but as king, David continued to be a shepherd. And every king that came after David, every leader of God's people was called to follow his footsteps as a shepherd. But there were cruel and unfaithful shepherds in Israel. Ezekiel 34, 1 through 5, records this indictment against Israel's unfaithful shepherds. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat 
You clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened. The sick you have not healed. The injured you have not bound up. The strayed you have not brought back. The lost you have not sought. And with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd and they became food for all the wild beasts. God's leaders, the the, the kings of Israel, the, the religious leaders, they were called to shepherd the people, to protect the people, to provide for the people. And instead, they, they glutted themselves on the people. They stole from the people. They extorted people. And this is so sad because this is not the way that it should have been. And so God responds to the unfaithful shepherds in Israel in verse 15. He says, I myself will be the shepherd of my people and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. Because the shepherds have been unfaithful, God himself is going to come and one day shepherd his people. And so in Jesus' day, the people were waiting for this promise to be fulfilled. They're waiting for God himself to come and shepherd their people. And so the shepherd imagery in this passage is amazing. The people are said to be like sheep without a shepherd, but also Jesus makes them sit down in the green grass which should call our attention to Psalm 23. He makes me lie down in green pastures. And Jesus feeds the people as a shepherd feeds the sheep. Jesus is the leader the people have been longing for. He is the good shepherd that we need. Now, some of you may be a very small decision away from following Jesus. Maybe you're here and you're not a Christian. And there's something about Jesus that is appealing to you. Maybe you've heard something recently and so you've come to see what all the fuss is about. Maybe a friend dragged you here or a family member dragged you here and you know about Jesus. You've heard about Jesus, but you've not made that decision to follow him yourself today. You need to know that Jesus is a good shepherd. You need to know that Jesus is worth following. Jesus is the only one worthy of following. He is a good shepherd. And I want to give us all today three reasons why we can have confidence in following Jesus as the good shepherd, why we can have confidence in following him with our whole lives. Maybe you're here today and because of things that have gone on in the world, you've been following Jesus, but you're looking at the world and you're like, am I really giving my life to follow this Jesus, to follow this, this man from Nazareth? Am I really giving my life to follow this? Well, you can have comfort today. You can have courage today knowing that Jesus is worth following with your whole life. Three reasons why we can have confidence in following Jesus as the good shepherd. The first is because Jesus shepherds with compassion. When the demands of ministry are so great that the disciples have no opportunity even to eat. Jesus leads them with compassion to a desolate place, to a solitary place where they can rest. This word desolate is literally, he leads them to a wilderness place. 
Jesus is, is, is often leading his people back into the wilderness, back into a place of rest, back into a place of sometimes obscurity, away from the busyness, away from the good things of ministry to receive rest, to receive refreshment. In this text, Jesus' popularity is increasing every day. It's growing exponentially as the disciples have just come back from their missionary journeys where they took the truth of the gospel and they took the power and the authority of Jesus over unclean spirits and over disease. And so now the fame of Jesus is spreading rapidly, spreading exponentially and being carried into the different towns and regions and the surrounding areas. And so all day long, the people are coming and going. They're coming and going. The needs are extreme. And so there's no time even to eat. And so Jesus calls them away into a desolate place. Time and time again, Jesus calls his disciples to follow him into the wilderness, away from the busyness, to rest. Even though there's incredible work to be done, they need to rest. Church, there is incredible work to be done in the church. There's incredible work to be done in your jobs and in your families and in your lives. But if it's not coming from a place of rest, then you're just spinning your wheels and you are not going to last. In all of your desire to follow Jesus, if you're doing it from a place that is not a place of rest, you're going to die. It will not last. And so Jesus calls his disciples into a place of rest to give them what they need. And and a compassionate shepherd provides what the sheep need when they need it. But when they arrive to this desolate place, it's no longer that desolate anymore. The crowds have have gone on ahead of them and they've, they've met them there. Now, this is where I would just keep sailing. Right? If I'm trying to like find a place to rest and I show up and it's overrun by people who like demand my attention, that's where I just pretend not to see them and I continue sailing. Time to find another beach. Let's go someplace else, but not Jesus. Again, Jesus has compassion on them. See, Jesus knows that their leaders have, have failed them. Their leaders have oppressed them. To roam these people, these Jewish men and women, to roam, they were just dogs. Unsophisticated vermin, only good to pay taxes to support the Roman cause. To King Herod, they were pawns. They were what he needed. They were the means of his power and his status in Rome. Without them, there would be no need for this part Jewish puppet ruler. And so they were pawns to King Herod. To the Pharisees, they were in the way. The religious leaders, they were in the way. Either their their lack of desire to follow the tradition of the Pharisees or their inability to keep the law perfectly. The Pharisees saw them as, as being in the way of their desire to maintain national purity. And so though on the surface, it may seem that these people who, who run to the other side of the sea and, and, and are waiting for Jesus when he's longing to give the disciples rest, it may seem that they are interfering with Jesus' plans, but he does not treat them like an interference. He has compassion on them. One of my favorite uh, traditions that my, my family and I have is every, every spring we go to Phoenix for spring training and we watch baseball. We've been waiting months 
since November to see a baseball game again. And so in March, we go to Phoenix and we watch all the MLB teams. They come there and they practice. And so we get to go to the Dodgers practice and we get to kind of get up close and we get to see them uh, uh, take batting practice and all this stuff. And, And the kids can get pretty close and get autographs from all of their favorite players and things like that. And something that frustrates me is in a place like this, a place that should be so family friendly, where, where kids should be prioritized. I'm so frustrated when the athletes pay more attention to the pretty girl than they do the kids. The kids who look up to these guys, the kids who are just trying to get autographs. And one day, it was, it was a really funny experience. We were, we were there at a game and we saw a golf cart coming by and I recognized one of the guys in the golf cart as one of the pitchers for the Dodgers. And so I told my kids, I said, I said, go get your balls, go get the pens and go see if you can get uh, his autograph. And so they run out there and he's talking to the guy that's driving the golf cart and he stops and he sees the kids and he tells him to stop and he gets out of the golf cart. He walks over to the kids, takes their balls, talks to them, signs all the, the autographs and gives them to the kids, took time out of his busy day. And me and, and my friend, actually Pastor Mike, who was here preaching a couple weeks ago, we, we, we do this, our families together. We go, he stopped for them. Let's go get our stuff and see if he'll sign our stuff. And so we go over, we get, we get a baseball, we get a pen, we walk up. And, and, and I, I kid you not, the, 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 the pitcher is Rich Hill, who he, he, looks at, he looks at us and he gets back in the golf cart and, 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 and takes off. And I was like, I can respect that. I can, I can respect that. My kids were not an interference. I understand that a grown man trying to get your autograph is an interference. You go about your day, pitch well, Rich Hill. Thank you so much. God bless you. Jesus sees the people on the shore and could have just stayed on the boat. But he stops for them. He has compassion on them. He's not like my wife and I when we go to Costco and we pretend to be in like this this, uh, lively discussion when the guy wants to ask us about our cable plan, right? We're just like, keep talking, keep laughing. Ha, 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 ha. We're just gonna pretend like I don't see you there. He stops for them. He has compassion on them. The compassion of of Jesus is not mere pity. He doesn't just recognize their plight and feel sorry for them. This word implies a deep visceral experience. The, The Greek word actually comes from the same word that means bowels. It's where we get the word spleen. The compassion that Jesus has on them, he's experiencing their suffering. He's experiencing their grief in the pit of his stomach. He's bothered by it. He has compassion on them. Throughout the gospel's Compassion is the emotion most often experienced by Jesus. When he looks at the the world in in all of the, the brokenness in the world, he has compassion on us. When he looks upon the effects of sin upon his image bearers, he has compassion. When we fail again and again, Jesus doesn't look at you with anger. He doesn't look at you with frustration and disgust and disappointment. He looks at you with compassion. He's ready to step into your shoes and suffer with you, to suffer alongside you, ready to share in the consequences of your actions. He has compassion on you. 
The reason we can be confident to follow Jesus with our whole lives is because when we get it wrong, he doesn't rub our nose in it. He doesn't cast us aside. He has compassion on us. Each and every person in this room today needs compassion for something. You need compassion for the sin that you're struggling with. You need compassion for the fear that you're experiencing. You need compassion for the wounds that are hurting you. You need compassion for the betrayal that you've experienced. Each and every one of us needs compassion. How are you struggling today? Physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally. How have you continued to fail? What do you, what kind of freedom do you need to experience? Other leaders in your life may make you feel ashamed for your mistakes. Other leaders in your life may make you feel more isolated than you already are. Others may make you prove your worth before inviting you near. Some leaders will scream at you until they're blue in the face for why you're wrong about not believing what they believe or not supporting what they support. And they will scream at you from their moral high ground. But Jesus occupies the highest of moral high ground and he gives you compassion. He doesn't shame you. He doesn't berate you. He loves you and he gives you compassion. His invitation to us is to come and receive love and care, receive healing for our wounds. We can follow Jesus with our whole lives because we know that we will be met with compassion. See, there's no safety in following a leader who's going to make you aware of all of your mistakes. There's no safety in following a leader who's going to make you feel the full weight of every wrong thing you've ever done. There is safety in following a leader who not only takes responsibility for the failures of those who are following him, but who will lay down his life for you, who will suffer the penalty for your fails, failures, will suffer the penalty for your sin. Jesus has compassion on you. You understand that that's unlike anything else you'll ever experience in this world. Every leader who has a plan, every leader who has a vision, every leader who has, has a, a desire to see their ideas come to fruition, when people get in the way of those plans, they get rid of those people. But Jesus has compassion on us. He has compassion on the people because they're like sheep without a shepherd. And so we're told that he begins to teach them many things. Jesus shepherds with compassion, but he also shepherds with truth. Before Jesus miraculously feeds the people with bread and fish, he feeds them with the truth of the kingdom of God. See, there are people who will turn Christianity and turn the church into nothing but a social justice compassion machine. They see the work of the church in the world to be alleviating the physical suffering and oppression of people in the world. And so this kind of church is big on compassion, but often light on truth. There are others that want to turn the church into a curriculum of doctrines to be believed and recited and they see the personal study of scripture and understanding of truth as being more important than the mission to, to serve and save the hurting and the lost. And this kind of church can be big on truth but completely separated from the real needs of the people. But compassion and truth must never be separated. Compassion and truth are not pit against one another. We are required to, as 
as believers, as those who are following Jesus, to speak the truth in love, to meld truth and compassion together. And as our good shepherd, Jesus brings compassion and truth. He speaks the truth in love to his people. Now, Mark doesn't tell us what Jesus teaches them exactly, but he says he taught them many things. And they they were probably listening to him for hours, talking about the kingdom of God, because that's what Jesus taught about when he taught. He taught that the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. And so he's talking about the kingdom of God that has come in him. He's talking about their need to repent and believe the gospel. They showed up in hopes of being handed a weapon to start a war, but instead he gives them the truth that leads to salvation. He gives them the hope of the kingdom of God. After teaching them many things, teaching them all this time, it begins getting late. And so the disciples in their own compassion for the people ask Jesus to send them away so that they can go buy food. See, they're learning from their master. They're learning how to take care of the needs of others. They want to make sure that the people are taken care of. But Jesus turns to them and says, you give them something to eat. Now, food for this number of people, we're told, would have cost 200 denarii. A denarius was the sum total of a day's wages. So to feed all of these people with bread would have cost 200 days wages, just shy of two-thirds of somebody's annual salary. Now, certainly, Jesus wasn't serious when he told the people, you give them something to eat. Or was he? See, these disciples had just gone throughout surrounding regions, and they'd done things that they had never been able to do before. They preached the gospel of the kingdom. They cast out demons. They were healing the sick. They had seen God do miraculous, powerful things in them and through them. And here, all he's asking them to do is to give them some bread. See, they didn't have that kind of money. Jesus didn't expect them to go buy all of these things. But they were about to discover that as the good shepherd... Jesus not only has compassion on the people, he not only gives truth to the people, but he shepherds his people with abundance. Jesus tells the disciples, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. See, when we're so preoccupied with not having enough, Jesus calls us to focus on what we do have. See, the disciples find five loaves, probably the equivalent of a little pita bread and a couple of fish. Jesus had called them into the desolate place so that they could rest and have a meal. And these five little pita breads and two fish was not even enough for the 13 of them. It wouldn't even have been enough for them to have a light snack. And so what did they expect him to do for them by only bringing that amount of food? It wasn't even enough for them, and yet somehow they trusted him to provide. But now they're looking at the needs of the people. They see all of the masses, and they think, there's no way. There's no way we have enough food. And so Jesus turns what, what wasn't even enough for the 13 of them into a feast for what most scholars believe were 15 to 20,000 people if you include the women and children. Are you so concerned about what you lack that you've not given Jesus the opportunity to use what you have? Are we so concerned about what we don't have 
that we've forgotten what Jesus has given to us. Do we have a scarcity mentality? There's never enough. I got to fight for what's mine. I got to keep what's mine. I got to save what's mine. I got to protect what's mine because there's not enough to go around. Or do we have an abundance mentality? Recognizing that even the small things that we have come from God's grace, come from his abundance. And if Jesus has freely given to us, then we can freely give, knowing that there's an abundance of where it came from. In his hands, a light snack becomes a banquet. See, many Christians don't give to the church because they think that what they have to offer is too small. Many Christians don't serve because they think, well, I'm only one person. I can't meet all of the needs. But don't let what you lack prevent you from being faithful with what you have. Don't let the focus be on all of that that you have not attained, that you forget to put into Jesus' hands the loaves and fishes that you do have because he can make miracles with the little that you have. When we come faithfully contributing what God has given us to the needs of his kingdom, we will see that the little that we contribute becomes an abundance. I remember letting a friend cut my hair one day. I, had, it didn't, I actually didn't know the guy that well. I recently met him at my jiu-jitsu school and was trying to find opportunities to talk to him about Jesus. And so he was a, a barber, and so I figured what better opportunity to, to talk to him about Jesus than to make him cut my hair and listen to me, um, you know, blabber on and on. And as he was cutting my hair, he told me about all of his different business ventures. This guy had his hand in so many different things. Very, very motivated individual. He had his hand in all kinds of different opportunities. And at one point, he, he told me, he said, he said man, I'm, I'm so excited because I'm going to help so many people once I make my millions. And I said, that's awesome, man. How, who are you helping with your thousands? And he looked at me kind of confused and I didn't press the issue because he was holding a straight razor. Um, And uh, timing is important in evangelism. When someone's holding a straight razor to your neck, don't offend them with their lack of generosity. He looked confused and I, I didn't press the issue. But the point is this. We can never expect that we're going to be generous with large amounts if we're not first generous with small amounts. It's ridiculous to assume that it's going to be easier to be generous once there's more at stake. See, it's, it's because it's not the actual amount that matters. It's not the amount, that you, uh, the amount you give that matters. It's the sacrifice that one is willing to make for the kingdom of God that Jesus blesses and multiplies. See, the disciples give away all of their food, which wasn't even enough to feed themselves. And Jesus made it a feast for thousands upon thousands of people. Church, I guarantee if you contribute what you have, if you are focused on what God has given you and you contribute from that, your money, your time, your skills, your resources, your food, you will watch Jesus use it to meet the needs of the multitude. If you give of what you have, not trying to to fight for what's yours, not trying to, to protect it from anyone else getting their grubby little paws on it. But if you are generous with what Jesus has been generous with in, in giving to you, you will see the small things that you have meet the needs of an abundance. 
Jesus turns table scraps into a feast. Imagine what he could do with the best of your resources. Imagine what he could do with the best of what you have. Imagine what he could do with your finances, with your skills, with your gifts and talents. If you stopped using it for yourself and put them into the hands of Jesus. There were 12 baskets full left over. There was not even enough for the 12 disciples and Jesus. And in the end, each disciple carried a basket of abundance away from this feast. If you give what you have, if you contribute from the abundance that God has given you, God will multiply it and you will not be without your own needs being met. Jesus doesn't only meet our needs with abundance when we come to him with what we have, but he also invites us into his work. See, when we follow Jesus, we become ministers of compassion, just like him. We become ministers of truth as Jesus was. We become ministers of abundance. It's as simple as receiving from what Jesus gives and handing it out to others. All we are is bread distributors. We don't even make the bread. Jesus gives us the bread. We open our hands. We provide for others. We are bread distributors. And so the reason we might find it difficult to share compassion or share truth or to share our resources with others is because we're still struggling to receive it from Jesus. When you know that all you have has come by grace and that there's an abundance where it came from. We can open our hands to give. We can open our mouths to speak truth. We can open our hearts to compassionately care for others. When we're aware of the needs of others, it's good to pray. It's good to ask God to meet their needs, but sometimes you need to hear the words of Jesus. You give them something to eat. Isn't it possible that God could provide for others through you or can he only provide through means that can't be explained? Can God provide for the people in your lives who are in need from a loving gesture of buying them a meal, buying them groceries, helping them pay bills? Or can God only meet the needs of people through a miraculous envelope found in the mail? Sometimes God's provision to us is intended to be God's provision through us. He invites you into that work. He says, you give them something to eat and you take the little that you have and you put it in Jesus' hands and he makes it enough. If we see what we have as fruit from God's abundance, then we will be satisfied. Look at the end of the text. It says, they all ate and were satisfied. Each and every person there, they all ate and they were satisfied. Do you want to be satisfied? Are you longing for satisfaction in this life? When we receive Jesus' compassion, when we receive his truth, when we receive his abundance, and then we open it, hold it with open hands for others to receive, we will be satisfied. The reason that we can, the reason that we continue to try to find satisfaction in other things is because we don't actually believe that what Jesus gives us is enough. If we're honest with ourselves, the reason that we cling to everything that we have so selfishly is because we don't actually believe that Jesus gave it to us by grace. We believe that we did something to earn it. We believe that we are worthy of it. We believe that we are entitled to it. 
And so we continue to find, try to find satisfaction in it because we believe that what Jesus is, what Jesus provides is not actually enough, but he's the good shepherd and he's abundant in compassion and truth and power. There's nothing that we lack that can't be satisfied in Jesus. And ultimately this feast in this desolate place, it's going to foreshadow another feast that Jesus will provide in Mark's gospel. You see, Mark strategically links this feeding of the 5,000 to the, the, the Passover supper in the upper room. See, Jesus in this passage, he takes bread. He blesses bread. He breaks bread. And he gives it to the disciples to be distributed among the crowds. And at the end of Mark's gospel, when he's in the upper room, he's going to take bread. He's going to bless bread. He's going to break bread. And he is going to hand it to his disciples saying, take, this is my body. You see, the feast in the wilderness points us to the feast that is available to each and every person who comes to Jesus in faith and receives from his broken body and his shed blood. Ultimately, we are satisfied in Christ, not because he can feed the multitude, not because he can do this cool party trick and provide bread for thousands upon thousands of people, not because he can feed a multitude, but because his sacrifice covers a multitude of our sins. The reason that you can be satisfied, the reason that you can rest, the reason that you can stop striving is because Jesus has done what you need most. The reason that you can stop trying to make yourself worthy is because Jesus has already made you worthy. The reason you can stop trying to prove God that you're worth his time and attention is because Jesus laid down his life because he valued yours so tremendously. Jesus gave up his breath so that you could live with him eternally. The reason that we are satisfied is because Jesus says, take This is my body broken for you. And we can come to him and we can feast on the truth of the gospel. We can feast on his abundance. We struggle to find true satisfaction in this world because sin wages war against our souls. Sin lies to us. Sin keeps our nose buried in our failures and tells us that we'll never be enough. But at the cross of Jesus, the broken body, the shed blood of Christ is the ultimate picture of the compassion that we need. He could have turned his back on us, but he went to the cross for us. It's the picture of the truth that we need. When we look at our lives and see failure, he speaks a better word over us saying, I've died for that sin. It is no longer counted against you. Enter the kingdom, enter the joy of your master. The cross is the ultimate picture of abundant provision from God. Though we can never muster enough righteousness on our own to enter the kingdom, the cross is where Christ's righteousness becomes our own. The cross is where the truth of the reality of our sin meets the compassion of God. It is true, you are a sinner and you do not deserve life with God. You deserve death and hell. That is the truth. But Jesus has had compassion on you and he has gone to the cross to experience the torment, to experience the death, to experience the separation that you deserve so that in Christ, you can be reconciled to God. In Christ, you can feast abundantly. You can feast on the truth of God and you can leave satisfied. If you are here and you don't know Jesus and you're striving and struggling to make sense of your life, to make your life enough, Jesus says enough. 
You are. You are loved. I have had compassion on you. You don't have to kill yourself to prove your worth. I have laid down my life for you. Today, you can believe in Jesus. You can trust in Jesus as the good shepherd and you can be satisfied in a world full of leaders who are gonna lead you to their own glory. In a world full of leaders like Herod, who we learned about a couple of weeks ago, who threw a banquet for himself at the expense of John the Baptist's life. You can turn to Jesus, who throws a banquet for sinners at the expense of his own life. In a world full of chaos and and confusing leadership, Jesus is the good shepherd who lays his life down for the sheep. And so church, we can have confidence to follow him, knowing that we will receive compassion, knowing that we will receive truth, knowing that we will receive his abundance. So let's follow him together and be satisfied. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much, first and foremost, for sending your son, God, we thank you that Jesus has brought the compassion of God into this world. God, we thank you that Jesus has brought the truth of God into this world. God, and we thank you that in all of your abundant goodness in creation, the greatest thing that you have given us is not sunshine, is not water, is not food. The greatest thing that you have given us is your son. And if you have not spared your only son, then how much more can we be confident that you will give us the things that we need for life? God, I pray that that we would stop clinging to to, uh, our scarcity and recognize that in you we've received an abundance. We've received everything that we need. God, I pray that we would hold these things that we've been given with open hands. Lord, recognizing that your provision to us is also provision through us and that as a people we would all drink deeply Lord, that we would all feast in what you've provided and that all would be satisfied, not in in food, not in finances, not in, in those things, but in you, God, in your righteousness, in your compassion, in your truth, God. I pray that we would be satisfied in Christ and in Christ alone. God, I pray for those in this town, God, who in this room, who are struggling to follow you as a good shepherd. Maybe they haven't begun following you yet. Maybe they have been for a long time and it's getting difficult. God, I pray that that we would not be ignorant of the brokenness in the world, but that we would just be more aware of the beauty that you give. Lord, that we would be aware more of of the blessings of God in Christ, that we would be more aware of the evidences of grace than we are the evidences of what we lack. God, fill us with your abundance. Fill us with your spirit. Overflow among us today with worship and praise and glory. God, we ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.